0: passage here in Samuel, David has been fleeing from Saul. You remember, David is the one who's been anointed to be the king uh, in place of Saul, but Saul obviously is still the king. He still has his position of kingship, and, uh, and so uh, David is having to flee Saul, who wants to kill David. We start reading with, uh, we read verses 1 and 2. David departed from there And escaped to the cave of Abdullam, where his brothers and all his father's house, when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. And then to First Chronicles, chapter 12. Again, there were some mighty men that wanted to join David during this time. And, and some of those were from the tribe of Benjamin, which was actually uh, Saul's tribe. And we pick up in verse, from verse 16, 1 Chronicles 12. And some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold to David David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, although there is no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke you. Then the Spirit clothed Amasai, chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace. Peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. Then finally into the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 13, a much quoted and sometimes, unfortunately, much abused verse. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we've been uh, remembering recently the uh, devastating World War I battle the Battle of the Somme. And uh, there were so many, hundreds of thousands of lives were lost in this battle. And it was so ferocious because there was no movement in terms of the armies and things. And, uh, And they were just bombing one another and bombing one another and bombing one another. And so many people died. And there were so many senseless charges. And many, many people lost their lives. And it's one of the one of the great horrors of war uh, that we really wish humanity would would see and remember and know uh, how horrible war actually is, because then few people would want to engage with it. But the battle was ugly and horrible and disgusting, and up before that time, there was almost this heroic sense to the battlefield and the idea that I'm going to be a soldier and I'm going to go out to war and I'm going to have prosperity and I'm going to have success. And there was a romantic notion about war that the Battle of the Somme completely shattered, completely shattered. And we should expect that war will be ugly and we should expect that it would be horrible. You fast forward into, into fiction back in uh, the uh, 1970s, 1980s uh, television series called MASH, an American program that took place during the, the Korean conflict uh, back in the 1950s. And by that time, after the horrors of Vietnam and the horrors of World War uh, II, uh, people began to understand a little bit more about war. And there was a great power in uh, TV shows like M.A.S.H., the movie M.A.S.H., uh, even the, uh, the uh, movie Apocalypse Now, because there was this mighty juxtaposition between people who seemed to be, you know, uh, Doing crazy things, living a crazy, relaxed lifestyle, but at the same time, they were right on the edge of the battlefield, and they were right in the midst of the horrors of war, and they were trying to make sense of all of that. And the reason I I bring all of this up is because our expectations of what a situation will be like will determine how we perceive that situation. Our expectations for what we might uh, uh, go through and and what should be, what can be, often influence quite significantly uh, how we think about something. And uh, the temptation for us, and it's uh, one of the things that we have as Christians, is that we tend to expect church life to be all lovey-dovey, you know, families holding their hands together, singing kumbaya around the, uh, around the campfire, you know, doing marshmallows and, and hot dogs and things like that. Uh, we expect things to be, you know, caring and loving all the time and so easygoing. And, and it all works out well. And we all want the best for one another. And, and, and we look at each other and say, oh, I just love you. Oh, no, I love you. Yeah, I love you. And, and there is a dynamic of truth about that in the body of Christ, that that's kind of the calling. But many times we think of ourselves in terms of more of an idealistic kind of family than actually the band of brothers that would develop in any conflict, because you, you see throughout history that where people have gone to war together, they develop this family kind of commitment to one another, this love for one another, this respect for one another, this willingness to put their lives on the line for one another that sometimes is absent, and is perhaps is largely absent, in many, many churches today. But the thing is that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. We are in a war. And like every war, there are casualties. As every war, there are problems, there are struggles. And many times the kind of family connection that we will develop as the body of Christ is not that idealistic lovey-dovey kind of family, but actually the family of a band of brothers standing together strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In fact, that's why many men, I think, sometimes go away from the church because they fail to recognize, they, they kind of think of the church as, oh, this lovey-dovey family that women should nourish, and we do need women in the church, obviously, this lovey-dovey family that women should nourish, when actually, many times, what we need to be thinking of, guys, is that we are a band of brothers, and we are in the midst of a major battle. And City Temple, right now, is on the front lines of one of the biggest battles ever fought in history in the spiritual realm. We are in the front line of a battle between the spirit of empire that controls the city of London and the spirit of Islam that's trying to move in from various parts of London. And if you look at a map uh, and look and see the parts of, of London where people are going to church and the parts where people are not going to church, it's striking to see how there seems to be battle lines that have been drawn. And not only are we dealing with empire and Islam, we're dealing with mammon, you know, wealth and materialism and consumerism and atheism uh, and all kinds of other types of issues. And they are all conflicting right now here in London. And City Temple, we are in the center of all of this. We are in the center of this battle. And we need to expect that we are in... A battle, not that we are in a country club where everything is going to go well, where we're all going to have easy, nice experiences, and where we can sit around the campfire and sing kumbaya in love with one another. And the reason why this is so important is because if we don't realize this, if we don't recognize this, then we will become victims of the battle. We will become victims of the battle. If we forget that we're in a conflict, it's very easy to stick our heads up over the parapet and become a casualty of war. And the thing is, you don't have to be a casualty of war in this battle. There are casualties of war, but you know, our God protects us and as long as we're in that place of protection, as long as we're in right alignment with what God wants for us and right alignment with others around us, we're in a place of protection. But many times, because we fail to remember we're in a battle, a very real battle with very real casualties, people die in this battle, and people have died the last 2,000 years in this battle, because we fail to recognize this, we often vi- become victims of it. Now, all this was kind of spurred on a couple of weeks ago. We had our annual general meeting, and, uh, and we were talking about you know, a staff member who had resigned and, and processing all of that. You know, and someone made a point, and they said, you know, it seems like that City Temple has a lot of people where that happens to. You know, that a lot of people don't end well, that a lot of people don't, you know, who, who have led in the past, they, they kind of fall off the radar, or, or they become antagonistic, or, or something happens there. Now, it's important to understand that we don't have really any more than any other place, although sometimes it does feel like we have more than our share. And it's also important to understand that we've had many, many leaders who have not, that's not happened to, and they've not only been effective here, but they've gone on to be effective in other places around the world. And so the question comes, in light of the reality of the battle If you're becoming part of City Temple or if you're becoming part of any church that's part of this battleground, and there's some churches that aren't, there's some churches that have stepped out of it, they don't want to be a part of it, so they don't acknowledge it and nothing ever really happens there, Uh, There are others that are in in nice, safe areas, surrounded by mostly Christians uh, who would defend them and protect them, uh, and they're not really dealing with the same level of conflict we are, but we deal with that spiritual conflict, I mean, not interpersonal conflict. Uh, You know, there's some places like that. There's some places of safety, but you're going to be part of this. You're going to be part of any church that God will use to advance His kingdom. We need to know what to expect and how to properly align ourselves with what God is doing. And so, for that, we turn to these three passages. Now, the first passage is very interesting. Uh, David is fleeing from Saul, and he goes to a stronghold, a place called uh, the cave of a- Adullam. And there, the cave of a- Adullam, you'll notice there are two kinds of people that come to David. It says, when his brothers and his father's family heard it, they came and joined him. Now people were looking at David and they recognized there was an anointing on David. They recognized there was a level of favor on David. They recognized that David was the one that was God's future for Israel. They recognized that David was the man of promise. They recognized that David was where God was doing something. And if you're going to connect with a church or a leader who has the favor of God upon them, then you'll tend to be one of these two people, or one of these two types of people. Uh, and every church and every leader Who could be said that that man is a man after God's own heart, that woman is a woman after God's own heart, that church is a church after God's own heart. heart. That's a place of anointing, that's a place of promise, that's a place of shalom. Every church will tend to attract these two kinds of people. The first kind then is the family. Those who are of the same spirit. Those who are of the same background, those who are of the same heritage, the same lineage, will tend to be drawn in that direction. When Karen and I first connected with HarvestNet back in 2007, we went to a conference there in in, uh, Pennsylvania. And it was extraordinary because we went there, and after just a few days, our our hearts were all connected together. The hearts of the leaders were connected to us. And very quickly after that, they asked me to be on the advisory council, and now they put me on the apostolic council. Why did that happen? It happened because our hearts were together together. We were of the same family. We were of the same lineage. We just hadn't met yet. And some people that are drawn to a, a place like City Temple, a, a ministry like Harvest Net, they will be of the same family, or they will be a, have been prepared to be of the same family. Now the Olashinas can tell you about uh, their own uh, heritage and why they're at City Temple. Sometimes I won't steal their thunder. But God prepared them before they got here that this was where they were supposed to be. And our hearts have been united ever since they came. It's amazing how God works that. And there's a second group of people, and those people were the people who were disgruntled, who were in debt, who were in distress, who were in bitterness of soul. I mean, they just weren't happy. Uh, They were kind of contentious. Uh they, they were not, you know, they, they were not the best and the brightest uh, of the people. They were not the wealthiest of people. They were people who were really struggling. Uh, some of them were really hurting. Some of them were really wounded. But they all started to be drawn to that place of favor. And in any kind of place where there's favor, any place like City Temple, and it's not just City Temple, it's any church, any leader, where there's the favor of God that people can recognize, you'll have people who are drawn that are of the same family, and you'll have people who are drawn who are in bitterness of soul, if you will, who are really struggling with something. And that's okay, because the idea is that those who are in bitterness of soul God wants to bring them into a family. And he wants to, to bring them and unite their hearts in with what's happening there. And that's, that's his desire. But that doesn't happen all the time. And in fact, many times there are people who are in bitterness of soul that will go a long time as part of David's camp there in Adullam, but they don't continue with David because that's not where they are supposed to be or that's not where their heart is really at. And when you're in a place like this, you always take risks on people. I've said, and I will continue to say, that City Temple will always take risks. You know, we're not looking for people that, we, we love people that have a proven track record of uh, influence and leadership and, and power and anointing. We love that, but you know, we're not looking for that. We're not trying to recruit those people. I said years ago to the Lord, and this is even before I came here, Lord, we will take anybody you send us. And I remember one young man that came to City Temple a number of years ago. Boy, he had ear piercings and body piercings. And uh, he he had things pierced. I, I didn't even know you could pierce uh, uh, as a guy. I, I just didn't know what that was. And, uh, you know, he came here. He was only going to stay a few weeks or so. You know, we thought he was going to come. Came here as a volunteer and everything like that. And you know what? About 12 years later, the man is not only married with one child, another on the way, but Andrew's also an elder of the church. Wasn't much of a risk. One of my dearest friends. That's what God does. We don't look at people, we don't judge on the outward appearance, we take everybody and we take risks, and sometimes people do great, and sometimes people flame out, it's okay. So how do you avoid being one of those that flame out? Well, you take this to 1 Chronicles chapter 12 in this situation here. Again, David is, uh, a lot of mighty men are now coming to David. A lot of warriors are gathering around David. They recognize the anointing. They recognize the favor of God there. They recognize what God's doing. The mighty men come. And here's some, some guys that should have been aligned with Saul. And they're coming to David. Now, they could be coming as spies to bring David down. There's no way for him to know. So as they're going on the way, he comes to them and he asks them effectively three questions, if you will. You could take what he says and turn it into three different questions. Have you come to me in peace? Have you come to me to help? And are you willing for your heart to be united with mine? Have you come in peace? Have you come to help? And are you willing for your heart to be united with mine? three fundamental questions. You know, there are some people that come to a fellowship and they have not come in peace. They've come to bring it down. You know, in many churches, there are people who are in witchcraft, who are sent by other witches to bring down the church, to undermine the ministry. That is happening. We have had plants come to this church in the past on that basis. They're not coming in peace. They're not coming to bring God's shalom. Now, there will be a lot of people who will come uh, in peace, but they really are coming for themselves. And that's not necessarily bad. You know, God brings us to different places for different reasons, for different seasons. And we've had people uh, at City Temple that God might have put here for two, three years but the reason God brought them here was so that they could be healed, so that they could get wholeness in their own lives, so that they could have some space, and then God takes them and leads them on to another place so that they could go back into leadership. That's happened a lot, and that can happen a lot. But the fundamental, first fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves, and by the way, keep asking ourselves these three questions, because at any time, we can, our answer to the question can change. And if our answer to any of these questions change, then our place needs to change. So the first was, have you come in peace? Have you come in friendship? Have you come in shalom? Are you going to promote well-being? And if you're not promoting well-being, you're not in the right place because you cannot be in the place of God's favor. The second question is, have you come to help? Now, there are some people that would say, yeah, I've come to help. I want to do this, 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 and this. And ultimately, what they're saying is, I've come to help, to help build my own kingdom. Can't tell you the number of times, yeah, I've come here to preach, or I've come here to lead, the, lead your worship. Well, that's nice. Uh, I've just now met you for the first time. It's only the first Sunday you've been here. Why don't you come for a while, and then we can talk about that? And they never come back. Because there are some people that aren't here to help they're here to build their own kingdom. They're here to do their own thing. But if you want to be in a place of blessing and alignment and the place of safety and protection, you have to say, not only am I here to promote well-being, but I am here as well to help. And I will do whatever it is that you as a leader or the leaders need me to do in order to help. One of the greatest tests for anybody who wants to come and be a leader is to say, will you, will you do the dishes? Will you clean the toilets? And I know if somebody's willing to do the dishes or clean the toilets, and they've got the humility it takes to be a genuine leader in the kingdom of God. Because if you're not, you won't survive. Then the third question that comes out of this, are you willing for your heart to be joined with mine? Now, there are some people who can come in peace. There are some who can come to help, but they really want to stand aloof. They really want to separate themselves. They really want to maintain their own agenda, their own thinking. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I got a difference of opinion about this, and so I'm going to hold on to my difference of opinion. If you do that, you will never be in the place of safety. When I came first came here, I came out of a Presbyterian background. I was a die-hard Presbyterian. I would argue with you about how Presbyterianism uh, really uh, reflected the truth of God's word, about how God wants to organize the body of Christ. Now after 15 years here, I'm a die-hard Presbyterian Congregationalist. And my perspective has shifted because I have united myself with this fellowship. And there are things about City Temple that have changed me, not in a way where I believe against the Bible as God's word, but in some respects, uh, my, my eyes have been opened to see the Bible more clearly, and more broadly. In some respects, my eyes have been closed to those errors that I once had in my teaching. And I know that I'm on a journey, but I chose to unite my heart fully with this group of people in this place. And when I went to HarvestNet, There were things about HarvestNet that I would disagree with, but I said, I am going to unite myself fully with this movement, HarvestNet International, and be a part of that. You have to do that if you want to be in right alignment and not get killed in the front line of a conflict like we're in. So you might be part of the family coming in here, or you might be one of those people who are bitter in soul coming in, but regardless of where you've started, regardless of how you come in, you have to say, yes, I'm here to promote well-being. Yes, I am here to help, to do whatever is necessary to make this house as what God wants it to be because the favor of God is here. And and yes, uh, I am willing for my heart to be united here because if you don't, then you cannot succeed, and ultimately what you will do is promote sickness in the body, not health for the body. And if you find that your answer to that question ever, those questions ever change, then the best thing you need to do is just step away quietly seeking to bless. With the work with HarvestNet, if the day ever comes where I don't feel like I can align my heart fully to that of Barry Whistler, who's the senior leader of HarvestNet, then I will say, Barry, I bless you in the name of Jesus, but I'm just going to step away. And it's nothing against you. It's just where I'm at, and I can't answer these questions, and so I'm going to peacefully walk away. Because I know that if I can't promote health by answering these three questions positively, then I will by default promote that which is unhealthy. And if I do that in the midst of a battle, we're vulnerable. In the midst of the battle is not the time to be in a debate. It's the time to listen to the leader or join another regiment. So what do we have to do then? Okay, if we're uniting our hearts, if we're there to help, you know, what, what, what does the Bible tell us about how we need to respond then to leaders? Uh, And leaders are those who are the leaders, the recognized leaders of the place. You know, sometimes people will come into a church and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I like this church, but I don't really recognize you as the pastor of the church. Well, frankly, if you're not going to recognize me as the minister of the church, then you're not a part of the church. Whether you like me or not, I'm the minister of City Temple. I don't try to promote myself that, but that's what I am. And if you don't recognize me as the minister, if you don't recognize the elders, you're not really part of the church. So what's, what's the response? What do we need to do? Well, there's this great passage, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And I know a lot of leaders who love that because they don't understand it. And I know a lot of people who hate it because they don't understand it. Some people read that and they mistake it as the writer saying that you have to do everything that the leader tells you to do exactly like they tell you to do it and completely submit to them as in become a doormat. That is not what the language means in Greek. The word translated obey, it's very difficult to translate with with one word, but you could say that it means this, allow yourself to be persuaded by. Allow yourself to be persuaded by. You know, there there will be some things, uh, I already know this in connection like with Harvest, that there are times when I'm together in the apostolic council where there are things that I do not agree with, not that they're sinful or anything, it's just strategically I don't think it's right, but you know what I say? I say, you know, Barry, this is, you are the apostolic leader here. I'm going to be convinced by what you want to do. This is what I think, but I honor your decision and I will be persuaded by that. That's what that word literally means. Allow yourself to be persuaded by it. doesn't mean that they're always right. Sometimes they can be wrong, but unless it's a sin, you seek to go along with it. Then the other, submit to the authority. What does that mean? It means to cooperate with. So you allow yourself to be persuaded by the leader, and you cooperate with the leader so that the leader can be the best leader that he or she can possibly be. Allow yourself to be persuaded by and cooperate with so your leader will succeed because if your leader doesn't succeed, if they're getting a lot of grief from trying to be a leader, if they're they're going through a lot of suffering and agony because they're a leader, if they're getting beat all the time because they're a leader, criticized and and all of that because they're a leader, it's not going to benefit you. It's not going to benefit you. No society, whether it's a church, whether it's government, whether it's the NHS, whether it's a school, can thrive without leadership. And if you undermine your leadership, you are always undermining your own success. So if you don't do it for the sake of Jesus, if you don't do it for the sake of the body of Christ, if you don't do it for the sake of the leader then do it for for the sake of yourself, your own health, your own vitality, your own integrity. Because if your leader is not doing leading with joy, then that is no advantage to you. That's what the writer says. No advantage to you. And not only is it not an advantage to you, but you will always leave yourself vulnerable to spiritual attack that may derail your faith, sideline you from what God wants for you in your life, and can even lead to death. I have seen people walk out in rebellion to leadership and end up physically in a place of vulnerability where they actually die. I'm not saying that happens to everybody, clearly it doesn't. But we have a responsibility. So we start out, decide, am I of the house? Am I part of the family? If not, how do I get to be part of the family? Because I don't want to just continue as one of, if I've come in as one of the dis, disgruntled ones, of the one bitterness of soul, I don't want to continue there. We continue by saying, okay, have I really come in peace? Have I really come to help to do whatever is necessary? And am I fully willing to allow my heart to be united with that of the house to which I'm being drawn so that I'm under that leadership, under that authority? Because if I answer yes to those questions, then my responsibility is to allow myself to be persuaded by my leaders and honor and cooperate with their authority so that health and vitality can be brought into the house, so that the house can achieve all that God desires for it to do. The kingdom of God can be advanced, and Jesus can be glorified. And that's the purpose of it, and that's why God has us together. Friends, we are in a battle. Just because there's not bullets whizzing by your head, do not be deceived. We are in a spiritual battle and we have seen many spiritual casualties over the years who have failed to recognize the nature of the spiritual battle that we're in. And we are in a spiritual battle because God has called us here for such a time as this. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of World War II movies And there was uh, one kind of image, one kind of mythology, and I can't really trace it to any particular movie, but there's one image that always captured my imagination. That image was that of a small band of of warriors, a small band of brothers, but in our case it would be brothers and sisters, a, a small band of brothers that were told by the commanding officer, okay, I want you to go and I want you to hold that bridge. No matter what, you need to defend the bridge. And then there would be an overwhelming force that would come against them. And uh, uh, against all odds, they would be there. They would protect one another, guard one another, and they would hold the bridge. And by the way, in those stories, the only people that ever really got killed were those that said, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go out and fight. And then they got shot. Or the idea of, you know, I want you to go and I want you to hold this piece of real estate, this beach, hold this beach do whatever it takes. And there's uh, bombs flying around them and all bullets flying around them and they're there and they're making sacrifices for one another but they stay there and they hold the beach. They hold the territory. Not understanding why. Not understanding that that bridge was going to be the bridge that the entire army would have to go across in order to gain the victory in the battle for the area. And right now, friends, city temple is that piece of territory. City temple is that bridge. God has said to us, hold this piece of territory. God has said to us, I have put you here. Centuries ago, God located, He desired us to be here for such a time as this. And right now, in this season, He says, I want you to be My people in this place. I want you to be My kingdom in this place. I want you to exalt Jesus in this place. I want you to pray continually in this place. I want you to be together as a band of brothers in this place. I want you to work together and fight together, not one another, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Places right now in this place because there are 7.5 million people in London who need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who are going to hell without Jesus and we don't know why we can't touch every single one of those lives but we can do what God has called us to do and hold this piece of real estate because they depend on us we don't know them we don't see them but one day in heaven if we hold this real estate if we do what God has called us to do Jesus will be praised because of it and we will see thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people who are in the kingdom of God because we were faithful for this piece of time this short time in history we were faithful and we did what God called us to do loving one another and resisting the power of the enemy. And we need to be a people who are aligned with one another and committed to one another. We need to watch one another's back, not stab one another in the back. We need to be protecting one another, not tolerating gossip, not tolerating criticism of one another. We need to know that if we do not stand together, we will fall. As Benjamin Franklin said, one of my favorite quotes... And I hate to, the American Revolution. Gentlemen, if we don't all hang together, we most assuredly shall all hang separately. That's what God has called us. Are you one of the family? Are you one of those that God has called to be in this place at this time, not to build up city temple? It's not about city temple. It's about glorifying Jesus and seeing this city turn to Jesus and seeing the nations of the world touched with the glory of God in Jesus Christ so that people from all nations, all ethnic groups, all languages bow at the feet of Jesus, the King of Kings, and Lord of lords. Father God, I ask that you'd show us. Show us, Lord God, if we are part of this family, part of this house, those that you have called to be here. And Lord, help us to examine ourselves honestly and fully. Are we here in shalom? Are we here genuinely to help? And are we willing for our hearts to be 100% united? Particularly with the house and the leadership. Lord, show us the ways that we've sinned against one another and against you. Not for condemnation, but so that we can repent now. Show us, Lord God, those who have wounded us. Not that we can rail against them, but that we can forgive them, release them to you in the pain of what they've done, and then bless them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would align us in such a way that Jesus is glorified in our midst. For we praise you and worship you and adore you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.